Welcome into another edition, season two, episode 16. It is the Adam Jones podcast presented by the Baltimore Banner. I'm just Jerry Coleman. He's a former five-time All-Star, Adam Jones. And we begin season two and episode 16 celebrating Black History Month. We will be joined by Bob Kendrick, who is a longtime president of the Negro League Baseball Museum out in Kansas City. In addition, with the CIAA tournament coming to Baltimore again, we'll chat with the conference commissioner. Her name is Jackie McWilliams, who is celebrating 10 years on the job, and we're also celebrating the 50th anniversary, AJ, of Title IX. Orioles getting ready for spring training, depending on time purposes. We may or may not discuss this whole Adley Rushman autograph situation. Adam has some thoughts on that. Also, Super Bowl week, we'll get our respective picks. We're not saying wager on those picks, but we both have been to the big game, and Adam will compare that to his trip to the World Cup. And then we'll end things up with another edition of Socially Speaking as we pick your best social correspondence of the week. And we have a prize coming up next week, and we'll tell you how to qualify coming up in just a moment. But right now, we bring in our special guest. He was named the president of the Negro League Baseball Museum back in March of 2011 and is responsible for the day-to-day operations of the museum. Bob Kendrick joins us here on the Adam Jones Podcast. Bob, so grateful for your time here today. Thank you for coming on (laughs) and joining us. And just a simple question for you. So why did they determine that the museum was going to be located in Kansas City? And I don't know, unlike a city maybe like Baltimore. Like Baltimore. Yeah. And, and, And honestly, it could have very easily have been in Baltimore. Baltimore had two. Negro League franchises, uh, the Baltimore Black Sox and the Baltimore Elite Giants. Now, spell elite, but it's pronounced elite. You make those Negro Leaguers mad if you call them the elite Giants. Yes, you do. Elite Giants. But Jerry, Kansas City is the birthplace of the Negro Leagues. The leagues were formed right around the corner from where the museum operates, the old Paseo YMCA. The building still stands, historic landmark. We're now saving that old historic landmark and converting it into an education and research center in memory of our friend, the late great Buck O'Neill. And that's where Root Foster and a group of eight independent black baseball team owners met on February 13, 1920, and signed the documents to start the Negro National League, the first successful organized baseball league and Ruth Foster defiantly stood there to Purcell YMCA after chartering his new league and uttered one of the most prophetic statements of all time. We are the ship, all else the sea. He was sending notice to Major League Baseball that a new player had arrived on the scene to be reckoned with. So Kansas City is really the fitting home for, for this great museum. Oh, Bob, it's just, first off, it's great to see you. It's been a while since I've uh, been in your presence. Every time we, we always share good laughs, big hug. I got one question that I've been just thinking about for a long time. And as a player, and just thinking about the history of just my forefathers in this game. Exactly. Why don't we celebrate us at the Negro League Museum now? Well, we are. Adam, and I'm glad you said that, because as now this museum is growing, we are starting that process now of, as I like to say, celebrating the people who built, who walked over the bridge. You know, Buck always described it in this manner. The Negro Leagues Baseball Museum essentially celebrates the people who built the bridge, who built that bridge, allowed you to cross over that bridge. But you're right. There's a legacy there. And and that legacy is something that we absolutely want to celebrate. So a few years ago, we started an event called the Hall of Game. And the Hall of Game, Adam, each year honors former major leaguers who we believe played the game the way they played it in the Negro Leagues. So you played it with passion. You played it with high skill. You played it, obviously, you know, with sweat. But you had to play it with some swag. You know, if you didn't play it with that flair, you couldn't be in the Negro Leagues. And and so each year we honor a class. We haven't done it in the last two years because of COVID. 
So we're starting that process now of recognizing those who cross over the bridge. And, and I can tell you this, I don't want to let the cat out the bag. At, at some point, we will be calling Adam Jones saying, come to Kansas City because we <laughs> want to induct you into the Hall of Fame. We're just going to throw that out there now. <laughs> we, wait, we wait five years. And, you know, same thing as the Hall of Fame does. But, you know, outside of that, man, it's just about how you play the game. You know, did you play it? You know, as my friend Dave Winfield would say that, the ultimate compliment that he ever got was when he sat down with the old Negro League players and, and they would look at him and say, you know what? You were good enough. You could have played with us. <laughs> oh, that's the that's the greatest compliment that you can get. I'm telling you, I've met with many Negro League players. <laughs> greatest compliment you can get because they still watch the game. They know the flair. They, they don't care that, oh, you make all this money. They don't care about that. They care about how you approach the game every single day. Yeah. I love watching and love when you get, to get that. When you get that validation from them dudes, they get, it's it different. It meant something. Oh, big time. Yeah. No, big no, it, it, it meant something. And they were sincere because, you know, the thing, guys, that I remind people that, you know, people would tell Buck, well, Buck, we showed, you know, we – I know you got to be a little bit disappointed that you didn't get a chance to play in the major leagues and your contemporaries didn't get a chance to play in the major leagues. And, and Buck would look at them, and he meant this too. He said, don't feel sorry for me. Feel sorry for the people who didn't see me play. They're the ones that missed out. And, so, and it did. You know, they played the game. And, and, and Adam, I think it's important because, you know, we talk about the Negro Leagues and we talk about the flair in which they played the game. But don't get it twisted. They played the game fundamentally sound, but they added a degree of athleticism. So when you add fundamentals with athleticism, well, you get Adam Jones. You get something special. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's what they brought to the table. And, and so, you know, we love this fact that we do get to celebrate and we do get to kind of pay attention and recognize, as we say, the people who crossed over the bridge. Bob, I did so, want to ask you. Uh, it, go ahead, Adam. I, I got some oh, questions. So, you go right ahead. No, the, the final part, I'm sorry, Jerry. The final part that you said, though, is like we play fundamentally sound. Like when we came in the game of baseball, when I came in the game of baseball with the Mariners, the first thing that was the heart down my throat, play the game fundamentally sound. We have to be better. Play the game. I was, I was fortunate enough to have an African-American coach who was, yeah. was like, hey, on the low, was like, look it. Hey, look it. You're a shortstop. You want to be a shortstop, you're going to have to do more. You're going to have to work a little harder. You're going to have to do a little bit more. Just because you're a first-rounder, that don't mean nothing because we can change positions with you. Things are a little bit different once you get into this big part. The little money that they gave you, they don't care about that. Can you can you make it work? And we had to be fundamentally sound. We had to run the bases the correct way. We had to bunt. I remember Mike Hargrove. I didn't get a sacrifice bunt down. He looked at me like I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm just a player, and the next day, guess what I was doing at one o'clock in the afternoon? <laughs> I was out there button. Hey, well, that—that's how I go. We have to get the thing. We and that's will go for all players, not just black players. But no, 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 no. You got to be fundamentally. Well, sorry. well, as you know from your many visit to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, the great Ruth Foster Jerry, he would find his ball players at the turn of the 1900s as much as $5 if you were tagged out standing up, you were supposed to slide. He would draw a circle down the first baseline and a circle down the third baseline. And if every one of his players couldn't drop a bunt inside the circle, he would find them. He was adamant about the style of play that would become signature in Negro Leagues baseball. Root Foster in one game once call for like 12, 13 consecutive bunts in the game. You know, his team was losing. He wanted to put pressure on the defense. He just kept having them drop that bunt, man. People were going nuts. They were making mistakes all over the place. And But, you know, that was an important part of how they played the game in the Negro League. Now, they had guys who could hit the ball out the ballpark. But all those guys knew how to put that bunt down. They knew how to move runners over. They took the extra base. You know, they made sure that they threw to the proper base. So all of that was in play. But then you bring this level of athleticism 
that these guys had. So now, cool, Papa Bell was putting so much pressure on you. If you messed up that play at first base, hell, he might be standing at third base. You know, he just <laughs> Well, Bob, you've mentioned all these luminaries from James Cool, Papa Bell. We know about Josh Gibson, Satchel Paige, Ruth Foster, Buck O'Neill. What about the process? And I, I know it's something very passionate for you about integrating their statistics into the Major League Baseball record book. It's something you've been working at for a while now, and I'd love to know where we stand in that process and, and how it gets accomplished with Major League Baseball. Yeah, no, and, and baseball is still working on this, but you know, Jerry, you go back to 2020, December of 2020, when Major League Baseball made the epic announcement that they were long last recognizing the Negro Leagues for exactly what we already knew it to be, a major league. And this was long time in the making because it was historical validation for what this league represented both on and off the field. Now, from the standpoint of those Negro League players, they were never seeking anyone's validation because, as we mentioned, they knew they could play. They knew how good their league was. And quite frankly, the major leaguers knew that they could play. It was just the social conditions of our times and fear that kept them out of the major leagues. So to get this kind of acknowledgement, even more than the records for me, it's just that acknowledgement that has added value to what the Negro Leagues were all about. But when do you expect this to be done, though? Is there a timetable that you're looking you know, at? They, they have not given me a timetable, but I know that they're working on it. And I know that they've you know, been able to get a tremendous pool of historians and researchers who have completely dedicated themselves to uh, unearthing all of this information, so much of it that has seemingly been lost to time and, and now it's being restored. And it's going to likely change the record books. You know, Ted Williams may not be the last guy to hit over 400. Now it may be Artie Wilson now, who did it in 1946. You know, and so you're going to see some things probably change a little bit, and that's going to make people a little uneasy, you know, because these are their major league idols, and they don't necessarily want to see that kind of change, but that's okay. They'll get used to it over time. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> records are records. <laughs> hey, records are records. So, Mr. Kendrick, what's, what's, what's next, or what's new for – well, you know, and, and as I was on the plane, I'm, I'm in Chicago. I'm in a hotel room in Chicago as we're recording this, getting ready to go see the premiere of the Tony Stone play, Life of Tony Stone, one of the three women who played in the Negro Leagues. But, you know, the big news as I was on the plane from Kansas City on that short flight over to Chicago, Adam, was the fact that the Negro Leagues are now part of MLB The Show 23. And based on the social media reaction, a lot of people are excited about the fact that the Negro Leagues are part of MLB The Show. And so am I, man. I, I, I feel like a, a proud father. You know, I do. Because this is something that has been, a, a lot of people have been waiting for this. You know, to be able to see Satchel Page in this video game of Buckle. Unbelievable. That's yeah. huge. And, and, no, it, it is. And, and for us guys, it's about how we now try to connect with a new generation of young people to get them engaged. Yeah. And you hope, Adam, that they will fall in love with these almost mythical-like figures. You know, because when you talk about Satchel Page, he's on a whole other level that you almost oh, cannot no. believe a guy was that good or the power of a Josh Gibson or the speed of a cool Papa Bell. And now all of a sudden these stories come to life inside the, this video game. And this is a multi-year relationship that we have with PlayStation and Sony. And we introduce eight, well, well, we will be introducing eight Negro League players in this first edition of the game when it's released in March and subsequently eight more each year. Uh, and hopefully, you know, that won't end after four years that we'll continue to recognize the Negro League. But man, you know, that's a milestone that we witnessed today. Massive. It is. It, it really is. And I'm so excited and I'm proud to have had a hand. And, you know, I'm narrating these mini docu series that are part of the video game. So, you know, as you're 
engaging in the game, you now have a chance to also learn about these players. And again, I wasn't sure how the fans were going to react to this, but man, they have been just blown away. And it's not just the opportunity to be Satchel in the game, but they want to learn about Satchel. They're thrilled that there's this additional biographical information that they can uh, gain while they're getting ready to play the game. And so, man, all the folks over at PlayStation have been amazing. We've been working on this project actually a little less than a year to pull this thing together, which was yeoman's duty, let me tell you. But, and, um, and do you think do you think something like this would bring more African American players to the I table so. because of reaching a new generation here? Oh, yes. No, no, I hope so. That's what we talk about: falling in love with with this game, falling in love with a piece of history and a, and, a, and an aspect of baseball that many of them had not heard about. But again, just as the museum serves in the same capacity for any black or brown child who walks through that museum. The beauty of it is you see people who look just like you, who played this game, man, as well as anyone ever played the game. And, and that's an important part, particularly as we try to get more urban kids playing our game again, they do need to understand that they have such a proud legacy in this game. Yeah, now we played this game and we've been playing it for a long time. And I hope that we will continue to be a part of this game because, quite frankly, guys, baseball is better when we play. And it's just a simple fact. And that's not just for black folks, but people of, of every race and ethnicity. The game is just better when you're able to bring all the talent to the, to the forefront. I tell people all the time, you go back and look at what happened when Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier. And now these other black and brown players are able to transition into the major leagues. What happened? The game got better. You got a better product. And, and so that's what this is all about in, in its own way. And, and for us to hopefully build a new legion of future supporters of this museum. You know, we've got to go, you know, I tell people all the time as a, you know, as a museum. And, and this, I think, is true for any museum. The challenge is always, how do you create relevancy? Negro Leagues baseball, as you both know, hadn't been played in over six decades. But its relevancy is just as important today, maybe even more so with some of the things that we've seen happen in our society. And so I can't wait for those young kids to come to me at the Negro Leagues Museum. I can't wait for it. Yeah. I've got to go to them. And I've got to go to them in the modes and mediums in which they are accustomed to getting that information so that I can create that level of engagement. So that's one thing that we just announced today at the day at the time that we we're recording this. Last week, it was the new animated series that we did with Major League Baseball, wow. uh, a new animated short series that was introduced uh, February 1st, first time that we've applied animation to the Negro Leagues. And again, I, I call it contemporary storytelling because Adam, think about this. All the great stories that Buck used to tell, but there was no video. Right. Yeah, there was no video. But now through animation, you can now help people understand what that showdown between Satchel Page and Josh Gibson looked like. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, and, uh, and all these other great stories, they get to see the speed of cool Papa Bell and, and his uncanny ability to cut the bag on his on the inside. He was so adept at base running because the speed is, is, is legendary, but his base running, I'm not sure there was ever a greater base, base runner than cool Papa Bell. Adam, he could hit the inside of the bag with his left foot. And a lot of times the umpires thought that he had missed the bag because he was so skilled at it. And which is what really enabled him to get around the bases so doggone fast, along with that blazing speed. And so through animation, you can see it, even if it may be slightly exaggerated, it just gives you that kind of understanding of, again, we talk about that mythical-like power of Josh Gibson. 40-ounce, 40 41-inch bat, man. <laughs> 
Hey, Bob, do you recall how you and Adam came together and formed this relationship? Which oh, man, it, it goes back to the days when he was there in Seattle. And he came over. Did Lou bring you over? Did, did Lou Pinella bring you over first? No, um, you had already uh, been? I think it was, I think it was Raleigh Banyas, actually. Yeah, yeah. Raleigh Banyas. Yeah, but it goes back to his days in Seattle, man. And, you know, the thing that I admire about Adam is that the history of his game and his place in this game is not lost on him. You know, not all the athletes immediately understand that. So when you come to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, again, for the black and brown athlete, Jerry, that is their mecca. Yeah. You know, that is where their roots are. You know, I tell people all the time, there is no and if buts about it. You don't play in the major leagues had it not been for those guys from the Negro League. You know, and players like Adam Jones, um, LaTroy Hawkins, Torrey Hunter, these guys, these are folks who were mainstays at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Ryan Howard. Ryan Howard started coming to the museum before we ever knew who Ryan Howard was. He wasn't home run champion Ryan Howard. He wasn't MVP Ryan Howard. He was just a kid in the Philly's organization who would come to the museum every year. And Adam, he would walk around that place just before he would leave to go to spring training. And, and in, in a lot of ways, guys, I think for him, it was his rites of passage. Because I think he realized that whatever the challenges might be when you got down to spring training, it wasn't going to be that. It wasn't going to be what his ancestors had to endure to play this game. And, and so I think it gives you a feeling that, okay, I can handle this. I can handle this, you know, uh, and, and every year he would do that. He would come there and then he'd go down to spring training and, and prepare himself to play this game. And that's the view. That's, that's what I love as much as anything. Those guys, those major league athletes who come so often to the museum. And, and Jerry, I don't care what color you are. You know, and, and Adam has brought teammates of every shade to that museum. It doesn't matter what color you are. You know, the, the common denominator that you have with the players from the Negro Leagues is love of the game. You play this game because you love it. Absolutely. Yeah. And the great thing is with this new schedule as we wrap up here is that now you'll have every team coming every season through Kansas City, and that opens up more opportunities. So It, 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 it really does, and, and sure. it never gets old for me, man. I love it. Bob, we really appreciate your time. It's an honor and a privilege to have you on as we kick off Black History Month. So informative. And uh, I know you, you, we'll stay in touch with you. And uh, thanks for breaking the news on the podcast. Yeah, no, man. We're, <laughs> we're super excited. And I look oh, forward yeah. to seeing you both sometime soon. Thanks, oh, guys. I tweeted it. Yeah, I thank y'all for having me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm super excited about it. All right, Bob Kendrick joining us here on the Adam Jones podcast. And, and like I said in talking to him, Adam, you two have known each other for a significant period of time. He yeah. certainly isn't shy and essentially is so dedicated to his job. He eats, sleeps, lives, and breathes it 24-7 on the road trying to make things happen. And uh, it, you couldn't ask for a better guy to lead that museum in terms I of day-to-day. He, he wants he just wants it he just wants the Negro Leagues to get the recognition that they just deserve. That's it. And they deserve it earned. I mean, they went out there and played the game hard. And there's documents when they played against the MLB stars. They, they won. Beat the hell out of them. They yeah. won. Yeah. Yeah. So uh you can't say the talent's not there. Obviously the country was not in the, you know, space for that yet. So um, you know, it was what it was, but I hey. If you're ever in Kansas City, you got to go. It, I mean, obviously, you got to follow that with some barbecue and all that. Kind of I was going to say that's part of the trip, of course, hundred percent. But it, uh, it, it's 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 magical. And Reggie's been there, and he, it's I took Reggie there, and obviously, plethora of teammates throughout the years. I was I was taken there. Mark McLemore told me to go there, and it's yeah, you know, it's my history. I got to know my history. I got to know where I come from. Everybody else know where they come from in society and all that, I, I can finally know where I come from in some capacity, and this is the capacity where I know where I come from.
And we continue our conversations here on the Adam Jones podcast. We're doubling your pleasure here on this first edition of season two, episode 16. We bring in the commissioner, the longtime commissioner, <laughs> celebrating 10 years on the job of running the CIAA men's and women's basketball tournament is coming to Baltimore. We'll talk about that. So grateful to have Jackie McWilliams with us. Jackie, thanks for taking the time and joining the podcast. We can't wait to have you in Baltimore coming up later in the month. Let me ask you, though, about the relationship with the city of Baltimore, how that was cultivated, how it evolved, and where it's going in the future. I know you're sitting in Charlotte, but you also have to have a heart for Charm City here. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm in the Queen City, but, you know, Baltimore is quite charming. As the mayor would say, we're like uh, crabs in Obey. And so it's um, been truly a pleasure to work with the leadership in Baltimore, really the state of Maryland um, in this transition for the last couple of years and working with them um, to manage uh, this massive tournament. You know, the relationship really with um, Al Hutchinson and his desire to figure out if they could bring the CIAA tournament to their city. Um, and at the time, the mayor there um, really collaborating and understanding that we were serious about going out to bid. I think once we put it out to bid and show that we were committed um, to look at other cities outside of being in Charlotte, that opened up the door to create this relationship that we have with Baltimore. Ultimately, they, they submitted a package and a bid that our board um, and our team thought was a valued uh, proposition and opportunity to grow the tournament and the brand and also our alumni base where we had the opportunity to come to Baltimore. It has been a, a great partnership. I would think we're more like friends um, doing great business together and, and matching our communities in a way to deliver not just basketball, but really making impact and, and demonstrating that we can work together to make Baltimore um, the charm city or be a part of the charm city as it is. And Adam, if I may, this is long-term, right, Commissioner? This is a long-term agreement with the city? Well, our agreement went to 2020. Actually, next year is supposed to be, this year is supposed to be our last year, Ooh. 2023. It was a three-year agreement. Um, one of the things that the board Ooh. committed after being in Charlotte for 15 years, which was a pretty long stint to be in a city, um, we agreed that when we went out to bid that we would give a city minimally a three-year agreement when we went through COVID, we really lost two years, even though we were in person last year. Um, we were not full blown last year. So the conversation around extending two more years to give Baltimore through 2025. And after this tournament, we will revisit. We'll either have to go out to bid or the board, or if the city is requesting to extend it another year or so, the board will revisit that. That's awesome. Ms. McWilliams, it's a pleasure, obviously, to have you on the Adam Jones podcast. And I just want to ask you, how much pride is being an HBCU grad is it to run the CIAA, being the commissioner for six plus years and, I mean, doing a fantastic job? How much pride personally is that for you? Oh, I mean, it's, um, it, it is a, a beautiful thing. It's a dream come true. Um, you know, I've been at other places, but this was truly a dream opportunity to come back to an organization that I played in, I've worked for before as a coach administrator, worked in the conference office. And to see the work that we've done over the last 10 years, um, we have delivered every single thing that I said that I would deliver. I was a little afraid when I first came to the board and said, here are all the things that I think could happen. And we knocked a lot of those things out in the first three years that I was here. And so it's only been growing up and growing out. Um, we have not been stagnant. Um, it, it's a place where we challenge ourselves and take risk um, that most wouldn't take um, as HBCUs, but we have because at the end of the day, these student athletes deserve really the platforms and the opportunity to play and to be seen. And our institutions have um, just as much, um, you know, uh, opportunity to have the visibility so that we can recruit more students to our institutions, not just in sports, but in the academic programs that are just thriving on our institutions. So it's much bigger than just the game for me. Um, and in this role, it's really showcasing HBCUs um, and all the things that we bring to communities across the country, across the world and in our region. And CIAA specifically, the tournament really gives us this week long event where we can ex um, expose all those things amongst all of our students, queens and kings and sponsors, and you name it, it's, it's a big deal. There's a lot of pride there. Um, 
yeah. And it's a, a huge sense of responsibility that I feel. <laughs> Economic impact. Obviously, Baltimore has uh, Bowie State, which is one of the oldest HBCUs, Coppin, Morgan. Um, do you think that bringing all these, all of everybody's going to be together? It's going to be, I mean, it's going to be a party in Baltimore when the, when it comes, everybody comes together. Do you think that it, like it can encourage people to, especially African Americans who, I mean, the HBCUs are predominantly about, um, to to go down that avenue, opposed to you know, obviously the you know, the predominantly uh, white colleges of the Maryland's and the bigger institutes, but to go down the avenue of HBCU, which a lot of my friends have, and they're like, hey it's an experience out of this world opposed to my yeah. other friends who've went to the major colleges. Yeah. I, I think, um, you, you know, what I, what I tell parents and I tell communities and when I speak, I always say, you know, no matter what color you are, no matter what gender ethnicity you are, um, see an HBCU as one school in your top five or your top 10, like you should have an HBCU for consideration. I think black people or, African-Americans do the same thing. You know, we look at HBCUs, but we also look at all the other surrounding institutions. I think we all should look at diverse institutions based on what our needs are and based on the culture um, that you need to live in, whether it's a small community or a large university. Um, those things are important. I think what's so unique about HBCUs, and I also understand it's not for everyone. It's not for every Black person. Um, that that um, that believes that we believe that every black person should go to HBCUs. I think there's a variety of institution that meets the needs of all of our students and our communities. But I would say that I don't know what I would have done. I was a military kid that traveled all around the world and lived in Germany and California and, and graduated high school in Colorado. Very diverse setting. Never always sometimes the only one. Um, I just found a picture where when I was in California, I was bused to a school where it was mostly Hispanic and it was very few. I was probably one or two black girls in the classroom um, and that was in the 80s. And so at the end of the day, I think HBCUs, if you know the founding of it, why they're important, that you should see the value of it, not just because it's a black institution, but it is an institution of learning um, that has a very unique culture for our students and our athletes. Well, you're not just a commissioner, you're a former player, and we'll get into that a little bit I later. I know, you see, look, I still got my shot. Oh, we've, <laughs> we've seen the videos, and we've seen the dribbling skills, no doubt about that, but this is the 50th anniversary yeah. of Title IX. That has to be something very close and dear to your heart, and I know that the CIAA is holding both its men's and women's events in Baltimore simultaneously, not at the same time. There's only one court to use, but yeah. you get the picture, and that's not too common, is it? It, you know, this since I've been in this conference, the tournament has always been around the same time. I remember when I was playing, though, we played in a separate facility, and then the championship was in, either in the same facility as the men. Um, you know, we didn't bring all the teams. I think over the years and prior to me coming, or when I worked here back in 1997, you know, the whole synergy of bringing all of our institutions together and giving our student athletes the ability to play in the same facility. I, I know that came about when we were in Raleigh and then when we, we, we came to Charlotte. And that's been important to me. I think even um, the work that we've done to ensure that the women's games are not all on the front end and the men's games are all on the back end. What does that say to our student athletes? Um, we have done in the last three or four years, alternate the schedule. Um, I think the MEAC does that as well. We've looked at other models to make sure that there's equity for our students, both our men and our women. Our games this year will highlight in Title IX. The championship game will not be the first game. It will be the second game. Normally the men's is the first game, semifinals, the same thing. So the, the key is that once we do it, we don't do it just for the 50th anniversary, that we see the longevity and the long-term commitment to make sure that we're giving equity amongst both our men and women's programs. And so that has been an important um, initiative, if you wanna say for me, um, in the role of leadership that I can influence and make that change to include having women commentators. We have 24 games and all those games, 24 teams, 24 teams and 22 games that will be on the ESPN platform. Um, and there's enough room and space for not just men commentating the entire week, but have a mix of women and men 
commentating throughout the week. And last year was the first time that we had a, a full women's crew to kick off our tournament that first year. And so we will continue to do that. Um, and I will hold my team accountable to make sure that we are showing diversity and equity amongst all the things that we do as it relates to speakers and programming um, and what our women and men see often on the court during the tournament, but really 365 days a year. I'm going to take it a little different right now. Carolina barbecue or Maryland crab cakes? Oh, <laughs> Maryland crab cake all the way. All the way. Okay. Because I'm going, it's crazy though. I'm going with the barbecue because oh, I'm the barbecue and crab cakes. Uh -uh. So. I'll tear up Virginia. We live right on the peninsula okay. of the water. I lived in California, so right. I am a right. seafoodie. Baltimore is like the best crab. The best. <laughs> Go ahead, Adam. Basketball player and volleyball player. What's your pump up music? Because you know it's gonna be lit in that stadium. Oh when all, you got all these black schools together, the music's gonna be lit. Currently or back in the day? Back in the day. Okay, take us back okay. in the day. Oh, I like uh, 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 Rakeem, uh, Kid and Play, um, Tribe Called Quest, those songs right there, like all the all the hip-hop. Like, those are the things that... Okay. Yeah, yeah. Loose Ends was my favorite. That was my volleyball music. I would put on my Into Me. Those... I'm an old school... So y'all might not even know what I'm talking about, but I'm just saying, those were the things that I did to prepare myself for games. Absolutely. I do. I do. <laughs> okay. And I'll say because oh, of yeah. the advent of like social it. media, you know, we have seen glimpses of you singing. Long ago, girls and women couldn't play. We have seen glimpses of you dribbling as well. Uh, what are you better at? What are you more active at now? Dribbling a basketball? You still, you still hoop? You still sing? Um, I, you know, in my afterlife, I think I would love to sing and, and be in theater, but singing is not my thing. I just try it all the time. Um, but probably I don't play ball anymore, but I don't think I've ever lost the skill and the love of the game and even volleyball. I can still pick up a ball. Um, I'm not going to hit the floor or nothing like that. I'm not going to try to spike it, but I do still have a sense of how to play the game and understand the game. Um, and I love to play with little kids when they think that I don't know how to play. So I can I can still play a little bit. We had a shootout with the mayor a couple of weeks ago, but I hadn't even touched the ball for a while. But he had been practicing. So I'm gonna get him the next time we play on these on these free throws. <laughs> I, I look forward to you taking on Mayor Brandon Scott. We should have a one on one contest. If oh you no, no, I'm too. I'm yeah, look. He's oh, that'd be young. huge. Come on. <laughs> He's got young, young legs. Elbows. Just get one little elbow. He's skinny. Give him an elbow. Exactly. I have to take him down. I have to take him down to win. Last thing for you, as we mentioned Baltimore, yep. we know what the CIAA tournament does in terms of economic impact for the city of Baltimore. What does it do for your conference, Commissioner? It's the same. I mean, I think when Baltimore wins, we win. You know, there's a significant amount of money that is being raised on our behalf. And so ticket sales, I mean, we've, we've got a venue that is valued at $5 million and we need to sell tickets. So when we sell tickets and heads and beds, we all get to win. Um, and it's important because the CIAA tournament, it is the place where our budget relies on, our student athletes from all of our championships rely on. And the experiences that our students get the fans get when they come to Baltimore relies on economic impact and even more the economic impact, you know, benefits the city. I've seen when large events come to communities like Baltimore or New Orleans or Charlotte, I've seen when these events are successful, how it helps the community and how it helps with the economic value and impact and how it brings new business and new people to move into your city. So I've seen it. I know it. I hear the stories. I've seen the stories. And so for us, it's a win-win for the CIAA, but also for Baltimore. Well, Commissioner, we do Big appreciate time. you taking your time. I know it's a busy time as we get set for the tournament coming up later this month. We'll let everyone know where they can go out and obtain tickets and be Thank a part of this event. So thanks for taking the time and 
being a part of the podcast this week. Well, thank you all. Thanks I really so appreciate it. I look forward to being in the Charm City with you all. So I'm going to get them crabs. Y'all yeah. need to tell me where I need to go, too. All right. You go to the stadium. I'm going to have some crabs personally sent to the stadium for you. Oh, okay? yeah. Thank I'm you. I'm going to have some personally sent you. for you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so make much. Sure, make sure you send them to the arena and not the stadium too, AJ, because you may end up. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, the arena. The, the arena. I'm sorry. I played I played in the stadium. I'm not I played I never played in the stadium, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Adam, I got you. I know. You guys sure you thank, you. thank you so much. You guys take right. care. Thank All right. you. That was a lot of fun, Adam. I mean, she uh she obviously oh. being a former athlete, now leading a conference is pretty amazing. And it's big time not only for the CIAA, but for the city of Baltimore to have a marquee event like that at the arena. I mean, huge. Um, I mean, obviously, HBCUs got a lot more attention with um, nationally with Deion Sanders, but the Baltimore DMV region is so rich in HBCU history that, uh, you know, my, my wife's uncle, HBCU grad, and a lot of her family, her auntie also, um, so there's such rich history with HBCUs in, in the region, and uh, it's, it's going to be great. Absolutely. Hey, folks, we appreciate Jackie. And speaking of, don't miss all the excitement coming to Baltimore. It's the CIAA Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament at the CFG Bank Arena February 21st through the 25th. Book a room at one of the arena's nearby hotels. Stroll the Inner Harbor Waterfront. Check out Baltimore's nightlife. See old friends and cheer on your team and experience all that Charm City has to offer. CIAA is the nation's oldest historically black athletic conference. Buy tickets and plan your trip at Baltimore.org slash CIAA or head to Ticketmaster, the Baltimore Sports and Tourism Development Council. Thanks all the local contributors. Again, the website, head to it now as tickets are going fast. Baltimore.org slash CIAA. In addition, as always, we're brought to you by our friends over at BMW of Towson, home of the best service department in all of Baltimore, BMW of Towson, easily located off York Road, just off exit 26A on I-695. I speak from firsthand experience. They have the top service department in all of Baltimore, very customer friendly. What a beautiful waiting room. Also, by Be More Around Town. They have the ultimate all-inclusive pregame tailgate experience, whether it be for the Caps, the Terps, the Birds at spring training. Head to BeMoreAroundTown.com and find out what they have to offer. Again, it's more than football. And by the good folks at the Wyman Group, much gratitude as always to Dennis and family for their support. By G-Leaf Medical Cannabis Company. Visit GLeaf.com, which offers free delivery. Medical cannabis is for qualified Maryland patients only. And the Baltimore banner still offering six months unlimited digital access for just a buck. But there's a catch. You have to mention this podcast. Visit thebaltimorebanner.com slash AJ and get those six months unlimited digital access. Thebaltimorebanner.com slash AJ for just a buck. And for the birds, as we move along here, Adam, Adley Rushman, while we had our week-long siesta, uh, there was a discussion about yeah. what he can and can't autograph. The Orioles have gone away from the fan fest days, and they're doing a thing called yeah. the Birdland Caravan or something of that nature. And he made it be yeah. known, and maybe this was a ball club's mistake, that there are certain items he can't autograph for fans. Now, when I was growing up as a kid, it was called the 70s. I never heard of anything like this. But you tell me this is not a new concept, so – Please explain to the uneducated like me. Well, you talk about the 70s. I mean, there, there you had, what, ABC, NBC, CBS. So let's <laughs> just really talk about the 70s. Fox no, wasn't um, even around. You're the thing, right. The, the, the thing is, is that players now with all these different contracts, they had car companies, they have contracts. Adley has a Fanatics contract, I believe. I had an upper deck contract, even old upper deck, if you remember upper deck. And it just prohibited us from signing other card companies while we were under contract. And the organizations should know this, first off, because, I mean, this is your organizational players. You should know everything, especially Adley Rushman's situation. You should know exactly what he can and can do. Every time I did a signing, I would let the people know in the, in the notes, like, I can only sign these kind of items. Please bring these. If it's blank, I can do it. But if you're trying to bring – I'm a Rawlings guy. If you're trying to bring a – 
Mizuno glove. I'm a Louisville slugger guy. You're trying to bring a Rawlings bat. I'm not, I, I'm not going to go against my contract. You know what I mean? But that's why you have to put it out there first to let him know. Adley can sign, but he can only sign these type of items due to his contractual obligations. It's a very easy thing to do. Very, very easy thing to do. It's not hard to do. It just takes time to reach out to Adley or his agent and be like, look, what can he do? And what can he do? Because he's very popular. We're going to all these different sites. He's going to see different people in all these different cities and, and towns across uh, the, the Birdland area. And they want a piece of them, as you should. And, you know, I remember, I wish we got to do that back then. But, you know, obviously it was just the Fan Fest day at the, at the convention center. But it's so cool to see those see the guys get down to the communities and, and hanging out with friends. I see Adley shotgunning some beers, bowling, and all that. Like that is like that, look at we're, we're normal people. Like like to say that we can't have a beer, a shot of whiskey. To, like come on, see that right there? <laughs> that way. Well, we see it you know behind you. But but back in your day, you you encountered a situation right. similar to this. Yeah, I had many uh, situations similar because people would think that they could just go buy especially autograph guys, they know, they know, they really, really know. It's, and it, the thing is, is, it doesn't hurt the autograph guy because autograph guys have different cards. They probably got 150 Adley Rushman cards. Uh, so, okay, I can't get 150 signed, I can get 20. Um, I'll see them at a later date. Uh, it's, the, it's the little kid, the, the, you know, the person who doesn't get the opportunity to, to travel to Baltimore to see him play, to be around him often. That's the one who, who gets, uh, it sucks for. And, and a lot of the times, you know, I would just be like, it's screw my contract I, you know like it's autograph this kid ain't gonna sell it this guy's gonna sell it but this kid's not gonna sell it so um you, you just you know you gotta pick and choose you gotta please obviously you gotta please your fan base but the team should know what players can and can do especially Adley who is obviously right now the face of the franchise so that to me is just uh yeah you gotta know that because Manny had it uh so it's just you know, these are small things you got to know about players nowadays. Well, I appreciate you clarifying the situation yeah. for us novices out there. Uh, let's move ahead and travel beyond Baltimore. It is, of course, Super Bowl week. Uh, they call it yeah. Super Week in some places. Around here in Baltimore, it's just another week. But you got the Chiefs. You got the <laughs> Eagles. You've been to the Super Bowl before. Mm-hmm. I've been to the Super Bowl before. Before you yeah. give us your pick, and I'll release mine for mm-hmm. free, by the way. Uh, you've been to the World Cup and the Super Bowl now. Is there a comparison between the two? Well, I mean, obviously the Super Bowl is uh, Super Bowl is America. I mean, it's, it's America's game. Uh, you, it's going to be broadcast, obviously, other countries. Um but it's, it's going to be on TV. Like, it's going to be out here in Spain. Uh, some people were planning to stay up at 1230 to start, either do that or don't watch social media, go to bed before 1230, and then watch it the next morning at uh, 8 o'clock and just watch it, don't look at social media. Um, but it's, 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 it's America's game. You know, it, it's America's, but it's different. It's every single year. So to compare the World Cup, the World Cup is a buildup. You know what I mean? It's like like now, ever since Team USA lost, every single conversation about Team USA is like, they played a hell of a tournament. They played a hell of a everything. We can't wait for 2024. Why? Because, or 2026. Yeah, because of the talent. So it's like, it's a buildup. The Super Bowl is every year. So it's nice, you know, next year we know what's going to be, you know, it's just, it's buildup. It's not a buildup to it. It's going to be a party. I hope everybody's safe. Um, but it's just it's different. It's it's different. Different passions. What you got? Um, yeah, it's just different. It's different. Me, uh, I mean, uh, that, it's a it's it's a pick 'em if you if you betting. Um, I I think that the Chiefs. I think that Mahomes is, is as being the MVP this year. I believe is the MVP and Jalen second. I believe that Mahomes just pulls this one out. He's been in. He's played some big, big games. I think that Mahomes and Andy Reid's expertise. I think that uh, expertise in this, in this one pulls it out. The Chiefs. Now going That's like good. a thirty-one twenty-four type score, though. Oh, uh, a shootout! As much as I hate to disagree with you, or I do enjoy that actually. Uh, I do agree with you. I think Mahomes. The experience matters. Uh, I look at the Eagles' yeah. schedule and some of the teams they had to play down the stretch. They weren't the best. So I'm siding with the experience in Kansas City 
on Super Bowl yeah. Sunday, and we'll see if we're both right. All right, let's conclude things with something we like to refer to as socially speaking. And this is where we answer a question via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or our email address for you social media challenge people out there. The email address, by the <laughs> way, is the Adam Jones Pod. The Adam Jones Pod at gmail.com on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's at Adam Jones Pod. At Adam Jones Pod. You can see it on YouTube. If not, listen to it and write it down as long as you're not driving. And we got this via Twitter from a listener <laughs> slash viewer named Joanne at Joanne, and that's two N's in Joanne without an E, underscore Wagner. She wrote, at Adam Jones Pod, mm-hmm. I just listened to my first ever podcast, loved it. I miss listening to sports with Coleman every day. Wow, sounds like someone in my family wrote this. And Simply AJ Pretty 10, much. at Simply AJ 10, I should say, is entertaining as usual. So they threw that in there as well. And uh, we do appreciate that, Joanne. Thanks for the kind comments. Keep them coming. Don't forget to rate the podcast and give it five stars because next week Mm -hmm. we are planning, or the week after, depending on how many correspondences we get, of drawing a winner and giving away another piece of Adam Jones memorabilia autographed by Adam Jones. We have it certified because we know Adam signed it. And uh, all you have to do is rate the podcast, send us proof of your rating, and... It'll be via email or social media once we see that it's been okayed by our social media department. You'll be eligible to win. Again, at Adam Jones Pod on social media. We want to thank our loyal sponsors, BMW of Towson, home of the best service department in all of Baltimore, located easily off York Road and exit 26A on I-695 by Bmore Round Town. Their opening day orange tailgate. It's just about to get underway. Last year, over 2,000 attended this all-inclusive event, and they're on pace to sell out the party this year. They got an open bar. That's all I need to say. They also have great performances (laughs) from groups like Go Go Gadget and uh, six different types of food venues. So head to Be More Around Town for details. Also, Dennis Wyman and the folks at the Wyman Group, G-Leaf Medical Cannabis. It's for qualified medical cannabis patients only, but they do have free delivery via gleaf.com and the Baltimore banner. Go out and subscribe, thebaltimorebanner.com slash AJ. Six weeks, unlimited digital access for just a buck. It says here I have to thank our veteran, senior executive producer. His name is Chip Franklin for putting this whole episode together. Go out, subscribe to the banner, be kind, be real, and be back here next week. Please. Please.